Every year after Thanksgiving, the Friday after Thanksgiving, the Sudworth family begin their homespun Christmas song game, which is a game that we play every year, aiming to win the grand prize of a Starbucks drink, uh, which I always end up paying even the years that I win. Uh, the main prize, though, is not the drink, but the bragging rights for the rest of the year. Now, the rules for the Sudworth uh, Christmas song game are super simple. If any family member climbs into a car along with one other person, and it has to have one other person because the Bible is explicit that it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that a matter shall be established. If, if any family member gets into the car along with somebody else, they have one guess uh, to, to try and figure out what song is playing on 93.9 WLIT, Chicago's Christmas radio station that is playing your holiday favorites. And if they guess, they win a million points. Right now, Debs is leading by a million points above anyone else. So this season, with just like any professional musician or any sports person would, I wanted to get myself ready for the season ahead. I wanted to put in the hard work and make sure that I was focused and ready and on top of my game to be able to try and guess which songs would be coming on the radio. So what I did was I went online. And I began to research what are the favorite Christmas songs in this nation. And with a, smu- a, four, a, little, a few small differences here and there, uh, according to Spotify, according to Billboard, and a few other websites, the top five Christmas songs in kind of no particular order, except for number one, but the songs are songs like Jingle Bells Rock. You familiar? Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells Rock. You know that one? Maybe you don't. Wham's song, last Christmas I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away. That one. How about this? Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. And now listen, if you're going to play this game at home, my number one piece of advice is consistency. You have to stick with the same song because eventually it'll happen. And so the song that I always choose is it's the most wonderful time of the year. That one actually, according to my list, according to my research, is in fact the most played song on WLIT, except it's never played when I seem to guess it. (laughs) But the overwhelming number one song on all Christmas lists that I've researched, and if you know me, I've researched this very thoroughly. Can anyone guess what that song might be? Oh, All I want for Christmas is you. There you go. I'm not going to sing it. All I want for Christmas is you. There you go. (laughs) It's an original song. It's a song that she co-wrote. It's a song that she sings. But there's actually another song that she is maybe equally famous for, a song that was written in the 1840s. It's a song that we're going to sing after this talk. It's it's, it's a song called, Oh, Holy Night. And there's a line in that song that has grabbed my attention, that's kind of really crept into my heart as we have started and as we are in the midst of this Christmas season. And that line is this, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. How on earth can a weary world rejoice? Why the thrill of hope? Because the holy night that the song is all about is the night of our dear Savior's birth. It's the night when Christ was born. 
I would put it to you that in many respects, the thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. In last week's sermon, when Nathan kickstarted this particular sermon series, he introduced us to two often overlooked people that are found in Luke's retelling of Jesus' birth. And those two people are Simeon and Anna. Simeon had received a promise from God that he was going to see the Messiah with his own eyes before his death. The problem was, as we were told last week, was it had been 400 years since God had spoken. 400 years of silence. 400 years of waiting. Probably waiting in weariness. Waiting in darkness. We all know what it's like to receive a promise for something and then have to wait for what seems like forever for that promise to be fulfilled. Now, when I use the word forever, I'm not talking about the two to three days of waiting forever because we've ordered something from another website other than Amazon. And we're so familiar to ordering something and having the package waiting for us at our doorstep the next morning. And I'm not meaning forever as in having to wait the week to open up the gifts that are now beginning to appear under our Christmas trees. By forever, I'm meaning waiting for months, sometimes years, perhaps even decades. For some here, perhaps waiting for a lifetime. Anyone who follows Jesus knows what it means to have to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled because God is very clear. In Hebrews chapter 6, he tells us that it is by faith and patience that we inherit the promise of God. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we get the faith bit. We get the trusting in God piece. But I don't think we fully embrace or fully even understand what it means to wait, what it means to be patient. We're not good at waiting. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64 verse 4 says this about God. For since the world began, no ear has heard And no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. My favorite quote of all time pertains to that verse. It's a quote by R.T. Kendall, author R.T. Kendall, and he says this, While we work, God waits. But when we wait, God works. While we wait, when we wait, we should be worshiping God. We should be found in the Word of God. We should be continuing to walk by the Spirit. But instead, I would put it to you, if you're anything like me, often while we wait, we tend to worry. We tend to wonder, to wonder if God is going to do what He said that He would do. So in Luke chapter 2, we are introduced to this righteous and devout man, this man, Simeon, a passionate worshiper of Jesus. It is is said that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and no doubt he was filled with hope and with expectation for the Lord to fulfill his promise. We all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to receive a promise and then to be full of hope and expectation for that promise to be fulfilled. But Simeon waited. He waited days, and days turned into weeks And weeks, months, and months eventually turned into years. And and no doubt in the midst of this expectation and this hope, uh, I think obviously uncertainty and doubt began to fill his heart. 
He must have wondered, like we all do, if God would do what he said he would. When is this Messiah coming? He no doubt asked. Who is this Messiah? How will I know? Why do I have to wait so long? Will God do what he said he would? But friends, the moment Simeon laid eyes on Jesus, his questions were answered. And he knew in that moment that God had not forgotten him or his promise or his people. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. Sovereign Lord, it tells us in Luke chapter two, Simeon cried out, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, Sovereign Lord, because you have been faithful to fulfill your promise, you may dismiss your servant in peace. Essentially, he was saying, take me home. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Let me ask you a question. Like Simeon, have, your, have you laid your eyes on Jesus? What's fascinating is that Simeon's name means God has heard. Some of you need to hear that today. God has heard you. God has heard you. You, you, you are not overlooked. You, you, you are not forgotten. God has not forgotten you. I, I want to encourage you, don't lose hope because he has heard the cry of your heart as you wait for his promise to be fulfilled. God has heard, but in the waiting, God shows us grace and favor. And what's fascinating is that's what Anna's name means. The other often overlooked person in Luke's retelling of Jesus' story, Anna's name means grace and favor. In Jesus, Simeon and Anna come together. In Jesus, God hasn't only just heard, but in the waiting, he shows us grace and favor in the midst of wondering and in the midst of weariness. So let me ask you again, like Simeon, have you laid your eyes on Jesus. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. Now, it's obviously so much more than this, but if nothing else, the Christmas story is about childbirth. That's what the word, its nativity means in Latin. Now, I know not everyone here has experienced childbirth or, or seen childbirth firsthand or been part of childbirth, but no doubt every one of us have had family members or friends who've shared some of their experiences or we've seen it on TV or in the movies. And that said, perhaps you would agree with me that there probably is no other human story, no other metaphor that describes the power that hope has to carry us through the pain and the reality of weariness and the anguish of very present suffering. I can't do this. Make it stop. I'm too exhausted. By the way, that was me as Debs was getting ready for her C-section. Irrespective, my point is this, that what gets us from the bud of God's promise to the fruit of God's promise fulfilled, what gets us from here to there, what gets us through what seems to be so overwhelming or even at times impossible is the hope of rejoicing on the other end. It's the hope of sorrow being turned into joy. It's the hope that one day we will get to hold God's promise realized and God's promise fulfilled. 
It's what Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 16. He says this, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. Now here, admittedly, the context is Jesus getting his disciples ready for his death, his resurrection and eventual ascension. He's telling them, he's telling us that we need, to, we, we need to wait well. We need to push through the difficult times while we wait for Jesus' return. He carries on. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. And so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. That's what Simeon and Anna experienced as they waited in hope for God's promised Messiah. They waited. They waited in silence. They waited with weariness. They, wait, they were wondering while they were waiting. And then eventually, Simeon cried, he's here. No wonder Simeon took Jesus up in his arms. I have seen the light and the salvation of the world and the glory of God. He has come. Friends, if there's one thing you take away from this message and you hold on to through Christmas, it's this. Jesus is the guarantee that God makes good on his promises. Jesus is the hope of God fulfilled. Jesus is the hope of God in the flesh. He came down from heaven. He came down into death. He went down into the grave. And we might be asking, is there hope in the gospel story? Yes. Despite Jesus going down into the grave, it was only so that he could rise again and ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me ask you that question again like Simeon. Have you laid your eyes upon Jesus? Is he the one in whom you have placed and anchored your hope? The immovable rock of eternity. It is Jesus and only Jesus who has entered a weary world to redeem it, to redeem you. He came to rescue you. He came to die for you. He came to rise again in order to save you. He came to, he came to gradually transform you by the work of his spirit and his word. And one day he will return for you and in doing so abolish death and, uh, death and sin forever. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. In writing his letter to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, I, I, I imagine Paul is for a moment at a loss for words as to how to describe Jesus. He says in verse 15, thank God for his gift, too wonderful for words. What puts Jesus beyond description? Do you have a lifetime of Sundays for me to explain to you? Well, in summary, let me tell you this, Jesus embodies God's grace his divine favor toward an undeserving humankind. Jesus embodies God's truth, God's unshakable, immovable, unchangeable word on which we can stand. Jesus embodies God's love, infinite compassion that empowers us and enables us to say, I am known, I am wanted, I am chosen, I am understood, I am deeply and completely loved. But there's another gift that comes through the person of Jesus. In Jesus, we receive the gift of hope. He is the reason we can live with hearts full of hope. 
Now, the dictionary does a terrible job of defining the word in the, as, as it appears in Scripture. In the dictionary, one of the translations, one of the, uh, um, uh, um, I've gone blank, one of the, the definitions, thank you, that's the word, one of the definitions of hope is this, wanting something to happen or to be the case. It's like asking somebody the question, will 2024 be better than 23? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's not what the Bible means when it speaks of hope. The Bible definition is so much different. Hope in the Bible is the indication of absolute certainty, although not yet reality. I'll say it again. Hope is the indication of absolute certainty, although not yet reality. It carries with it an assurance, a resilient confidence in a certain future. Hope from Jesus energizes us with anticipation. It helps us and keeps us going. I want to read a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 4, where Paul describes the hope that Abraham had in holding on to the promise of God. I'm not going to unpack it in its entirety, but there are a couple of phrases I want to pull out of here as we try to understand what this gift of hope is that Jesus has given us. In verse 18, Paul writes, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, for God had said to him, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. I love that. The King James Version says this, Abraham staggered not in unbelief. I I, I want you to have this picture of of unbelief just kind of rushing upon Abraham and him staggering not because he put his hope in the promise of God. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The King James Version again, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Let me say that again. What God promises, he performs. That's the anchor for our hope. That's what gives us resilient confidence in a certain future. We believe that God is able to do and willing to do whatever he promised. And that's the message of Christmas, friends, so wonderfully told through the birth of Jesus. So let me ask you, what has God promised you? Are you waiting in hope? Are you staggering not in unbelief? Because you know that the God who promises is also the God who performs. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. But I would put it to you that hope asks something of us. It requires a posture of our heart in response to the gift that Jesus gives us, the gift of hope. Let me explain. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, Isaiah says this, God, he gives strength to the weak and power to the weary. Amen? Are you feeling weak or weary? Well, God, this word, the word says God gives you strength and power. But then he goes on to say, but those who wait on the Lord. 
Some translations, those who trust in the Lord, those who put their hope in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Wait, trust, hope. All three are the, are the same uh, uh, Hebrew word, and it's the same word that's found in Jeremiah 29, where God tells us that he has plans for us to give us a future and a hope. My point is this, there's a connection between hoping and waiting. What do hopeful people do? They wait for the Lord. So what does hope require? What is the posture of our heart in response to hope? Hope requires that we wait for the Lord, but in waiting for the Lord, God gives us strength. What else does hope require? Well, I think there's a second thing. Hope requires that we endure. It requires endurance. We don't have time to turn there, but if you read the story of Job, you, you, you read of these, this, this incredible suffering and hardship that Job experienced. And yet in chapter 13, despite all that he had gone through, Job makes this statement, yet I hope in him. And then what James does in James chapter five is he, he links Job's hope to endurance and patience. So what does hope require? It requires endurance. And as we endure, the Lord teaches us patience. What does hope require? It requires that we wait for the Lord, and in waiting, the Lord gives us strength. It requires endurance, and as we endure, the Lord teaches us patience. But there's a third thing, there's a third posture of our heart that hope requires, and that's found in verse 27, uh, sorry, Psalm 27, verse 3. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. That word confident can, can also, it's the same word, hope and trust. Even though I am attacked, my heart is trusting in God. My heart, my heart is hopeful in the Lord. Hope requires that we trust in the Lord. And as we trust in the Lord, He promises that we will not be afraid. He promises rest. He promises relief. He promises strength. Hope requires that we wait for the Lord, which strengthens us. Hope requires enduring in the Lord, which teaches us patience. And hope requires trusting in the Lord, which results in rest. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. I wanna end this morning by reading a remarkable verse from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, about hope. And Paul starts off with this, may the God of hope. Let me pause there for a moment and just reinforce this reality that the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, the creator of the heavens and the earth is the God of hope because he gave us his son, Jesus. That means that we have the confidence to know that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. God's love will triumph over death and anything that life or Satan will throw at us. There is nothing past, 
present, or future that can weaken God's love for us. There is no power above us or no power beneath us, no power that can be found anywhere in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love that He lavishly pours out upon us in Jesus. Let me ask you, is that true of you? Do you know this love? Like Simeon, have you placed your eyes, have you laid your eyes on Jesus? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. God is not miserly with his mercy. Paul knows that, which is why he doesn't pray that God would give us some joy or a fraction of his, or a measure of his peace, as if God somehow had to kind of carefully ration out his resources. Paul knows And he wants us to know, and he prays that we would be filled with all joy and and peace, the totality, the measurelessness, the entirety of joy and peace upon each and every one of us without limiting God's ability to do that for anyone else. God's intention is for all joy and all peace to be poured out on all of his children all of the time. The measures, the limits are never on God's side. We have a budget to buy Christmas gifts. God does not have a budget when it comes to his love, his joy, his peace, and his hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's our response. Friends, this is not earned. This is not worked for. This is not grabbed hold of. This is as we trust in God. It's received by faith. It's received by trusting in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And here's the result. So that you may overflow with hope overflow with the hope of the gospel, overflow with the truth and the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and for me and, who, and therefore who we are in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. And how does this happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to overflow with joy. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us, according to Isaiah 40, to run and not grow weary. I love that phrase, to run and not grow weary. It reminded me of a story that I read in the newspaper a couple of months ago about the first man with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman triathlon. He learned to run and not grow weary. But throughout the race, the 17 hours Throughout the months and months and months of training, he was tethered to his coach, who was this beast of a man, an Iron Man veteran, who was there every single moment of the journey, encouraging him and and speaking words over him and and picking him up when he failed, when when he would, would perhaps fall, and making sure that he got to the end. The coach remarkably said to the father this, you gave me your son. 17 hours later, I will give you an Iron Man. I love that. Because that's exactly what happened. Friends, I want to tell you today that the divine strength that we find, the ability to run and not grow weary, the overflow of hope comes by the Holy Spirit, who is tethered. We are tethered to the Holy Spirit. 
He is exactly like that coach. He encourages us. He's whispering words of, 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 of encouragement to us. He picks us up when we fall. If we fall, he says to the father, you gave me your son or your daughter, and I give him back to you in, uh, holy and blameless in your sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The thrill of hope is the Christmas story in four words. Every single one of us